but people instinctively pray in crisis situations in life. People, people pray when everything goes wrong in, the, in their world, in our world. They instinctively start to pray. We saw this a few weeks ago. If you're in tune with the sports world, um, on Monday Night Football, um, uh, a player for the Buffalo Bills, Damar Hamlin, um, was hit and um, went into cardiac arrest, uh, arrest and had to be resuscitated on the field. Um, and thankfully, he's, he's doing much, much better, but it was in question whether he would live. And what's interesting is the next day on ESPN, a analyst, Dan Orlovsky, stopped and prayed on ESPN for Dan Orlovsky. Yeah, I mean, it was incredible. Praise God that this happened. So I just wanted to share this with you. Let's play that clip here. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Amen in Jesus' name, though. Let's put some Jesus in there. I just say, hey, Dan, you, you almost got it. Just get Jesus, you know. But so good, so good. But praise God that this happened. Like, praise God that people think to pray at all, ever, right? But is this all that God desires for prayer? Is God saying, hey, you know what? You've got this in life, but when you're absolutely desperate, pray. Is that God desire, God's desire for prayer? Well, we're going to find out what his desire is for prayer this morning. We've been going through 1 Thessalonians 5, um, and we've been going through the, all of 1 Thessalonians, and we'll get into 2 Thessalonians soon, but we're just going to pull over, and we're going to spend three weeks on three verses and we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, 17, and 18. And we're going to go a little out of order, but the order doesn't matter a whole lot. So we're going to start with verse 17. And all three of these commands in these three verses are keys to living in the present as people of the future, as this series is entitled for this uh, series through First and Second Thessalonians. Now, these, these keys, these, these commands are designed to help us keep our hearts and our minds on the unseen reality 
of the unshakable, sure fact that followers of Christ will be with Jesus for eternity. This is to help us live right now with the unseen in mind. So doing these things in this passage is going to look a little silly. It's going to feel a little awkward sometimes because we're living like we will be living in the future. So today, we're in verse 17, and uh, you know, I memorized the verse for you this morning. It was hard work, but I got it. Here we go. Pray constantly. I got it. I got it. So if you're bad at memorization, yes, no, you don't need to clap for that. Oh boy, we have problems if I can't memorize that, but... um, if you have a hard time with scripture memory, these next three weeks are your weeks. You, got, you can do this, all right? But verse 18 actually tells us that these, these three things, to pray constantly, and to, it says, spoiler alert, to rejoice always and to give thanks in all circumstances. It says that all of these things are God's will for us in Christ Jesus. Now, people are always trying to figure out what, what's God's will for my life. You hear people ask that a lot. And if that's you today... Like, what? Are you just trying to figure out, what God, what is your will for my life? Pay close attention these next three weeks. What God's desire is for you, what his will is for you, is that you would do these three things. Now, certainly he has more specific plans for you as an individual, but if you're stuck and not sure what to do, not, where to, not sure where to go in life, start here and stay here, even as he gives you more specifics. So today, pray constantly. Which brings us back to our opening question, what is God's desire for prayer? We're going to get there, but let's start with kind of the prerequisite to that. Let's start with the question that has to be answered first. What is prayer? What is prayer? Discuss at your table. What is prayer?
Okay, just throw it out there. What did you come up with? What's prayer? That's okay. You'll have more time to discuss later. What's that? Communicating with God. Very good. Yeah. Others. Connection. Good. Yeah, we, we were talking about that. It's not just very insightful, Lord. It's not just communicating. I'm communicating at you right now. It doesn't mean we're connecting, though, right? That's a whole different thing. Yep. Relationship. Good. Yeah. Anything else? Talking to God. Great. What kind of talking? Huh? Thankfulness and joy. Oh, good. Context is king. There we go. Nice. Good. So the common intuitive natural definition that people give is asking God for stuff. It's asking. And it is that. But as I study scripture... I think a better word, if you're just going to boil it down to one word, beyond the baseline, it's communication, you know, that, is it's surrender. Surrendering something over to God. So think about Jesus. When he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's about to be crucified, and he knows it. And he is praying. He says... God, if you can take this cup from me, he's talking about literally taking on all of the sin of us and of everyone of all time, taking on God's anger because of that. If you can take that cup from me, please do it, but not my will. Yours be done. He's desperately begging God to take this from him, and he is bold. He is unashamedly asking God to do something Incredible, yet he's surrendering. He's giving up his desires for his desires. This is so massively important to have this posture of surrender versus simply asking because God is not a gumball machine. He's the God of the universe. Okay, we just don't go, God, you need to do this right now. Come on, why aren't you doing it? Let's go. Have we forgotten who we're talking to? I mean, you're, you're setting yourself up to be continually annoyed, continually angry, and continually bitter at God if, all, if your view on prayer is just simply asking things of God. In Isaiah 55, God says that my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. See, this was Jesus' attitude and posture in prayer. Why would our attitude be any different? The same the posture of surrender is so key. You know, some people say when you have a posture of surrender in prayer, it takes the power out of your prayer. It discourages praying big prayers and it shows a lack of faith. But look at Jesus' prayer in the garden. Was that not a big prayer? Was that not a big request? And did Jesus have a lack of faith? No way. Jesus taught that faith the size of a mustard seed can move mountains. Mustard seed is pretty small. Effectiveness in prayer is not determined by the size of our faith. It's determined by the size of our God. So when someone asks me to pray for them and they're sick or they're hurt, um, I, I will usually pray something like this. I'll pray, God, 
I pray that you would heal them completely. And I pray that you would do that quickly. I pray that you would come and just bring complete healing. Yet, Jesus, we trust you with the timing. Give them patience. Give them endurance. We trust you with this. Something like that. Amen. See, it's, it's praying big, bold prayers, but then doing what Jesus did and going, but not my will, but yours be done. Imagine prayer as placing something into God's hands and saying, God, I give this to you. It's up to you. You are more powerful. You are more wise. You get this situation better than I do, so I trust you with it. Think of it as placing something in God's hands Instead of clinging tightly to something and go, God, do this thing right now. Come on. As you, you hold it really tight. Think of it more like here rather than, come on. You, what's going on? This posture of surrender, of dependence, helps us maintain a proper posture towards God, that he is God. And I'm not. So that leads us to our next question. We got the first word of the verse, pray. Next one, constantly, or some translations, without ceasing. What does praying constantly mean? Discuss at your table.
Okay. Let's keep moving. What does praying constantly mean? Here's what it doesn't mean. It does not mean literally all the time because I would be disobeying that right now and so would you. Well, maybe you're not. Maybe you're praying inwardly right now. It's a hyperbole, which is an intentional exaggeration to make a point. So how do we know this? We know this because Paul is not praying the whole time in his letter. He prays on occasion, kind of spastically a little bit. If you read all of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians at once, he'll just kind of toss in prayers every once in a while. But it, it certainly doesn't mean all the time. Um, we know this because Paul uses hyperbole a lot. So 1st Thessalonians 1, 2, he says, we always thank God for all of you, making mention of you constantly in our prayers. There's that same word, constantly. Was he praying for the Thessalonians all of the time? No. He was praying for them regularly and often. So I'm going to define it as this. It's your knee-jerk reaction. So you remember the doctor growing up? He gets out his little tool that has the orange triangle on the end, the rubber triangle, and he hits you on the knee. Does anyone know what that's called? It, it's, no, no, no. I know that's a reflex. What's the tool called? A hammer. I don't know what doctor you went to, but time to get the hammer out. <laughs> ah! so, I guess it's job security for him, but anyway, we digress. Does anyone actually know it, though? It, it's actually called a hammer. Wow. I got a nod from a nurse, so there we go. Wow, they need to rethink that, but let's get out of the hammer. But, Sorry, knee-jerk reaction. You know, it hits you, you hit it in the right spot and your leg goes like that. I'm, I'm not going to try to actually do it. Maybe my knees don't work very well, but um, just something happens and you, you react. So that is what it means to pray constantly or without ceasing. It's to pray whenever anything happens. So your alarm goes off in the morning, you, you pray. Your kids start freaking out, you, you pray. Someone compliments you on something, you pray. A coworker really starts pushing your buttons, getting under your skin, you pray. Your lunch tastes especially good today, so you pray. You're, you hit kind of that mid-afternoon crash where you're really getting tired, so you pray. Maybe you're driving home, so you pray. You open up your mailbox and you get, a, you get an advertisement from some store for Six packs of Mountain Dew for $1.99, so you pray and go praise God. <laughs> a family member asks you something really strange. You're not sure how to answer, so you pray. You get a call from a family member who's struggling, so you pray. You remember that you have ice cream in the freezer, so you pray. You enjoy an episode of one of your favorite shows. So you pray, and then you go to bed. So you pray. See, it's just a, it, it becomes so woven into the fabric of our everyday life that it just becomes a knee-jerk reaction. That's what it means to pray constantly. Why should we pray constantly? Well, let's look at these three verses all together. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, 17, and 18. It says, Rejoice always, pray constantly, Give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Here's why we do all three of those things. Because it's God's will for us. 
God desires to hear from you constantly. But get this. This is so important. He doesn't desire to hear from us regularly in a you better pray or I'm going to be mad at you way, but rather in a fatherly, hey, come sit down next to me and tell me all about your day sort of way. Huge difference there. That's the view we need to have of God as we pray constantly. Praying constantly isn't a demand. He's not going, you better pray or you won't be saved. We are saved because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, because of his work on the cross. It's not our efforts in praying that save us. It's because we're saved that we get to pray. Pastor C.J. Mahaney said this about this passage. These good and wise commands from God himself are meant to lift burdens from our heart, not add burdens to our lives. He enjoys hearing from us. Communication is the backbone of any good relationship. So think of it less like a duty or chore and more like a loving check-in. Josh put it really well this week when we were talking about it as staff. He said, it's like, it's like someone, maybe your spouse or a good friend or a family member that you have this constant kind of text conversation with or call or FaceTime where you're just, it would be strange not to hear from them after like half a day. If you didn't hear from them, you'd think something was wrong. It's that sort of communication. It's not drudgery. You enjoy that because you enjoy that relationship. Imagine if uh, a married soldier who was stationed abroad never called, never wrote, never did video chats if they were able to. See, slowly but surely, the, the affection and the desire and even the memory of their wife would start to fade. They may even end up in divorce or have marital troubles when they return because of it. But if, if that soldier called and wrote and thought about his wife back home a lot, he would become more and more hopeful and more and more excited that when he gets to be with her again and when that day actually comes, it would be an incredible day. See, prayer is a primary, it's the primary way that we remember our true identity as children of God. How can we remember the unseen, not yet reality of heaven, of being with Christ, that Christ is going to return? We interact with the unseen. We interact with God more and more. Prayer helps us grow in our affection, grow in our desire and awareness of Jesus and awareness that he is coming back someday. And your level of hope, your level of joy, and your level of peace in Christ will be determined heavily by the level of your prayer. Here's why. It's a frequent reminder of what's true and what's real and what's sure. Jesus even though you don't see him now. It's a constant reminder of reality that is unseen. So, next question to discuss at your table. How do we pray constantly? Discuss.
Nope. There we are. How do we pray constantly? Richard Foster, I think, said it well. He said, by praying, we learn to pray. I've learned more about prayer from walking these aisles and from walking these sidewalks than from anything anyone has ever told me about prayer, except for what God has told me in his word, of course. Prayer is hard. It's, it is a discipline most of the time. It's not something people are like, yay, let's pray. But every time you get done with it and go, oh, man, that is exactly what I needed to do. John Piper suggested this, that we mingle discipline with spontaneity in our prayer, and I think that's a good way to put it. Have set apart times to pray as a discipline, but not to check it off a to-do list, but in order to kindle and spark spontaneous prayer in our lives. So for example, um, a, a couple years ago, um, I just felt convicted that I needed to be more healthy with my eating habits in order to honor God more with that area of my life. So I forced myself, I disciplined myself to eat fruit or vegetables as a snack at least once a day. Now, <laughs> yuck, yeah. And then I bring you donuts, yeah. So what's interesting though is that I've started to do it more than once a day because I've actually started to enjoy a banana as a snack or celery as a snack. But it didn't start that way, okay? I, I mildly liked fruits and vegetables before, but I actually really enjoy them now. Similarly, as I've disciplined myself to pray while driving, while running in the morning, at set times in the day, I've started to pray even more spontaneously out of habit and out of enjoyment. Weave disciplined times to pray into your normal set routines. You see, you're not too busy to pray. You just need to get more creative and more intentional with it. So what I'm not asking of you, and what I don't think this is what Scripture is asking, is for you to get up at 3 a.m. and pray four hours before you start your day. I don't think that's what's going on. When could you weave in some disciplined times of prayer? Maybe it's on your commute to work. Maybe it's when you're picking your kids up. Maybe it's while you're eating breakfast. Maybe it's while you're going on a walk around the block at your lunch break or, or while you're working out. But you already have natural times in your day where you could just pray while doing this or that. I want to end today by sharing uh, an acronym that's really been helpful for me in prayer. Um, this isn't the only way to pray, um, but I think this is really helpful. And the acronym is ACTS, A-C-T-S. And we're going to be working this acronym in this week with our prayer nights that we have, which I would highly encourage you to come to in our worship night tonight. It'll be kind of be the, be the theme, but I just want to explain this to you. So a is adoration, and, and adoration is just praising God for who he is. God, you are holy. I worship you because you are just, because you are loving, because you are good, on and on. Confession is just that. It's asking God for forgiveness for specific sin in our lives. Thanksgiving is thanking God for undeserved blessings. And S, most people define as supplication, but I've changed it to surrender. So instead of like we started today talking about, instead of just asking for stuff, 
We're casting our cares and requests and desires on God, saying, here, here, God. So I want to practice this this morning together with communion. So if you'll take um, communion, let me grab mine here. Did I steal? There we go. Okay. Um, so let's start with A, adoration. So, so in a second, I want, I want some people to just shout out, God, you are blank because of what he did on the cross. So for example, God, you are Savior. All right. Anyone else? Go for it. Yeah. Healer. Say, say the whole phrase. God, you are blank. Mm, amen. God, you are lovely. God, you are king. Lovely king, yeah. God, you are amen. God, you are noble. noble. God, you are selfless. selfless. What was the? What, merciful. God, you're sovereign. sovereign. Good, good. Okay, there's adoration. We could just keep going and going. I love it. Confession. Now just silently, in your own mind, confess to God something sinful that you said, did, or thought recently within the last couple days. Okay, let's take out the bread. This one literally doesn't have bread in it. Okay. No, that's okay. No, 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 no. That's okay. I'm totally going to ruin the mood of this, but that's okay. I'm okay with it. To be frank with you, here's a little pastor secret. I never eat the bread because I did it once, and I, I started choking on my, like, a little, choking a little bit and couldn't talk very well afterwards. So for your sake, I'm going to pretend to eat the bread, and I actually do that every time, so it's all good. Here we go. Uh, <laughs> all right. We're going to take the bread... God, forgive me for that. All right, here we go. Take the bread and remember Jesus' broken body that was, that was bruised and beaten for us. Thank you, Jesus. All right. Thanksgiving. I want us to, like we did before, shout out, God, thank you for, but not just for anything. This is just open season. God, thank you for this. Because of what he did on the cross. So here's an example. Thank you for forgiveness. Okay, go ahead. Thank you for... Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your forgiveness. Good. Yeah, amen. Love. Truth. Mm, blessings. Good. Let's open the juice now. This represents Jesus' blood that was poured out and spilled for us on the cross for our sin. Let's take the juice and remember his sacrifice. Now to end with surrender. Why don't you just close your eyes? Actually, don't close them yet because you're going to need to see this. And if you feel comfortable with it, put your hands out like this, like you are giving something, handing over something to someone. Now you can close your eyes and silently surrender something you're worried about right now in life to God. Say, God, I'm worried about this. I give this to you.
Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the gift of prayer. And I thank you for your sacrifice on the cross. I pray, Jesus, that you would help us to enjoy prayer more. That, yes, you would help us to be more disciplined, but that it would produce greater delight and enjoyment of relationship with you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus, that our our effort in prayer is not what gives us salvation, but you gave us salvation. We thank you for the gift of prayer. Help us to treat it as that. And I pray that this week would be an incredible week where we pray big prayers and that we would align our heart with your heart, God. And we know as we look at church history, the seedbed of revival has been the prayers of your people. So we pray boldly, Jesus, that you would bring a revival that starts right here in Boone, Iowa, where tons of people would come to know Jesus and turn and repent of their sin and trust you. We pray this in your name. Amen.